Happy grand reopening, everybody. California is back. Break out the party hats and let everyone see that smile for the first time in more than a year. You know who's really smiling? Business owners, the folks who count on tourism. Now, we're going to talk to one of them over beers while rolling down the road. But not everyone is smiling. County health departments are wondering how they'll survive the aftermath of a very expensive pandemic. Welcome to California State of Mind from CalMatters and Cap Radio. I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento, filling in for Nicole Nixon. And I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. You guys have heard Scott before on this podcast and on your radio. Scott, tell me more about what you do here. Well, my job title says state government reporter, and that means covering anything from fires to education to housing. Really, it's about just being on your toes and being ready to cover just about anything that the state throws at you. That sounds like this podcast. So it's a good thing because we're going to be looking at some of those topics over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And, you know, you and I both cover housing and there's something people may not be watching, you know, unless you've strolled down the two by four aisle at Home Depot recently. And that's the price of lumber and how it keeps climbing. So I've I've heard a little on the story, but what does it mean for housing in the state? We always talk about housing and how it's hard to build it, how to get it done. Now the wood costs a lot of money too. Yeah. And it means that Building housing is even harder and more expensive than before. And it's not just building housing from scratch, also remodeling and building in-law units. That's also becoming more difficult. And it's also affecting smaller things too. I mean, think of anything made of wood, picnic table, for example, that's going to go up in price too. So speaking of picnic tables, I am starting to see people fill them up down at Echo Park Lake and around here. And we got to talk about this big news, which is all these folks coming back out because we are reopening. So, Scott, tell me, what are you doing differently this week or this month than a week or a month ago? I'm definitely getting out more. I'm feeling more comfortable. I'm fully vaccinated. And, you know, I'm feeling more comfortable being around people, being closer to people. I'm still taking some precautions, but going out to a bar, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Hitting a live baseball game pretty soon, absolutely feeling good about that. You'll see me with a beer in one hand and a hot dog in the other for sure. Uh, What about you? How have things changed for you in the last couple weeks? Man, look, you can vaccinate me against all the different variants, but you cannot undo the past 15 months of relative isolation and where our brains have gone. And yes, people can tell me, look, it's safe and it's fine. And I'm trying in little fits and starts, but I'm still just too nervous. I still can't quite break through there. So maybe it's baseball. Maybe that's just what we all need. It's a tough habit to break, and it's a weird pattern of behavior to get out of, certainly. But I'm telling you, a beer, a hot dog, a live baseball game, it's probably the way to do it. It's what the doctor ordered. Well, I trust you on that, and it is time to get back out there. Do you remember staycations? It was this crazy pre-pandemic notion that staying home was somehow a reward. It's just like unfathomable to me now. But a huge part of the pandemic recovery process here in California is to be getting people back out and about but doing it here in one of the biggest tourism destinations in the world. And to that end, the state kicked off a big campaign this week to encourage Californians to stay and play in the Golden State. Cap Radio's Mike Haggerty spoke with Visit California president and CEO Carolyn Batetta this week, and he joins us to talk about it. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Thanks, Scott. So it's been a year. 
for everyone. The pandemic has kept us all at home and apart for many, many months. But now that people are able to head back out and do most things, the state's travel industry is saying, hey, don't forget about us. So, Mike, what's going on there? Well, Scott, in 2019, tourism in California was a $145 billion, with a B, piece of our economy. Now, Carolyn Batetta, who is the CEO and president of Visit California, uh, she and I had a conversation a couple days ago, and she pointed out that California's tourism economy is one and a half times the size of Florida and five times the size of Hawaii's. Uh, she said that the travel and tourism sector was the hardest hit, and uh, this was, according to Carolyn Batetta, 10 times the size of the economic impact that we suffered when tourism briefly shut down after 9-11. More than 55% of spending evaporated overnight. Those are the types of things we're looking at, is how quickly can we catch up and exceed our uh, frenemies or friendly competitors in Florida, for example, uh, who are well ahead of us in destination readiness and consumer sentiment. So incremental travel revenue is the ultimate uh, in terms of success, and we measure that uh, on a national level. And how long does she think it might take for things to rebound in the state? And what are tourism officials doing to encourage people to come back out? Well, Batetta says it's going to be at least another four years before the tourism and travel industry gets back to the billions that it brought in two years ago. She's pleading for Californians to spend their tourism dollar in the state to help hasten the recovery. You know, we are a global uh, draw for people, but there are also people from in the country and from within our state that make up a big portion of our tourist economy. During one of her press conferences, I, I think I heard her describe uh, going on trips in California as sort of like a patriotic duty. And, and I'm curious about this. I guess, why does she describe it that way? Why does she, you know, put it in such kind of vaunted terms to, you know, be committed to the state by traveling here and spending your dollars here? She didn't use the word patriotic when I talked to her, but she did say that you're doing uh, something good for your fellow Californians when you travel within the state. We really have to get back into the habit that we had up until the shutdown of saying, hey, it's the weekend. Let's go to Truckee. Let's go over to the Mendocino Coast. Things that we haven't been doing for a year and a half, we kind of need to pick those habits back up because we within California are a big part of the California tourism economy. I'm interested in kind of the balancing act that uh, a number of industries are going to have to play um, where coming out of you know the, the worst parts of the pandemic, um, people are very excited to get out. They're feeling some relief, but we're still in this thing, and there is there are still some uh, precautions that have to be taken. So did Batetta speak to at all, you know, this encouragement of people getting out, experiencing the state and traveling, but also still being mindful of the pandemic? Is there a balance to strike there? Uh, she believes that uh, the vaccination is a major factor, but she also says that we're not going to get to uh, any kind of recovery, and I think it's why she's put the four-year timeline on this, uh, until air travel goes back to normal, until people can, just as before, not sweat masks, not sweat uh, distancing, and just get on planes and fly in a carefree manner. 
did, did Batetta see, um, you know, anything from the pandemic that that may stick around in the tourism industry that may actually be kind of a silver lining, um, either in uh, the approach to how California is pitched to people as a tourism destination um, or just the way that people travel and experience the state? That didn't come up in our conversation, but I will tell you something that I've observed that's, I I think, food for all of us to think about. Uh, I have a friend who lives uh, in Half Moon Bay, which is San Mateo County, where the vaccination rate is very, very high. I believe it's in the 75, 80 percent range. Um, We were talking about a gathering that we were planning for this summer. And he said, you know, well, we're in great shape because of this. And I said, well, hang on. In Sacramento County, the vaccination rate is under 50%. So I think as we travel within the state of California, the more cautious people may do a little check to say, okay, is this a place where I am going to be among people who are all overwhelmingly uh, fully vaccinated Uh, Or am I going into an area where fully vaccinated people are in a minority? I think that's a great point. I think that maybe speaks to greater communication, you know, with the people that you may be seeing and the place you may be going. I'm curious where you may be going uh, this summer and this fall, uh, where you may be spending your dollars to support California. You know, Scott, uh, the thing about me is anytime I don't have something better to do and I have car keys in my pocket, which is always, uh, I I will be saying things to my wife like, you know, brunch in Sausalito is not the world's worst idea. As we get into the 100 plus degree temperatures uh, of the summer, uh, you know, we'll run up to Truckee or South Lake Tahoe and find the best ice cream in town. I also uh, plan on getting out of Sacramento when the summer heat hits, whether that's, like you said, up to Lake Tahoe or heading over to the coast to Santa Cruz, which is a favorite destination of mine. Well, here's to safe and exciting travels this summer and this fall. Mike Haggerty, thanks so much for joining us again on California State of Mind. Thanks for having me. So, Scott, years, plural, to come all the way back? Yeah, it's going to be an uphill climb. Um, The You know, Governor Newsom likes to say that California is roaring back, but this is not going to happen overnight. And just so I understand, we put you on a dang brew bike today. Yeah, it was a tough day at the office. Um, Now, I I was there reporting, not participating. I swear this is uh, relevant to our conversation today. Uh, But these brew bikes are a great example of a regional attraction that gives tourists a unique way to explore Sacramento. And if you haven't seen one of these brew bikes, essentially they're this sort of jalopy looking thing with a dozen people pedaling around on them, drinking and bar hopping. And so I decided to get on one of those bikes with Jimmy Fremgen, and he talked about what the reopening means for his business. So tell me how you're feeling heading into this reopening. Cautiously optimistic. I think the last year has been kind of tough because we've had a lot of false starts. We've had... Our, our business especially has had a lot of like, okay, we're ready. Okay, we're well, not so much. Okay, now we're ready. Okay, not so much. I think this time with the vaccine being as available as it is, we're optimistic that things are going to continue to get more and more normal. But yeah, we're going to wait and see a little bit. In terms of that precaution, how has the brew bike business evolved from you know, the start of the pandemic, easing back into opening, and then where we're at now? Yeah, so as you can see on the bike, we've taken some precautions. We've got these plexiglass 
panels that sit next to the driver so that the guests and the drivers are separated a little bit. Um, it's been kind of a, like, we've been doing the same thing that everybody else has. We've been figuring it out as we go. So drivers were masked up. The groups were all masked up at one point. As the science caught up and we learned that you probably can't transmit the virus outside, we were able to be a little bit less strict about the masks. It's been a learning process for us, just like it is for everybody else that's in the service industry. But it's been challenging for sure. What does the clientele look like for Sacramento Bike? Does it tend to be people who are local? Do you get people from the Sacramento region? Or do you have people who are from out of town who want to have some sort of Sacramento experience, see a little more than they might be able to by just hopping on their own from one bar to another? So my absolute favorite part about working for Brewbike Scott is that every group is totally different. You never know what you're going to get. Like this weekend, I worked six tours. I had a group from Stockton, I had a group from Lodi, I had a group from Midtown, I had a group from Rockland, and I had a group from Arden. So people are from all over the place, and right now what we're seeing is people are taking advantage of the opportunity to get out with their friends and family, a lot of whom they haven't really had a chance to spend much time with, and come out, hang out, relax, maybe take a breather. A lot of us have been really anxious all year. And so it's an opportunity to kind of just push that to the side and pedal around and have a couple beers. Uh, there, there's been a concern about you know, like the impact of the tours uh, on the tourism industry of yeah. COVID-19. Yeah. Obviously, we couldn't travel very much. We couldn't get outside very much. A lot of things that we love about California, we couldn't really experience. There's a push now to try to get people back out, try to get people to you know spend their dollars on experiences, on tourism. Mm -hmm. Do you think it will bounce back right away, or do you think that, uh, do you have any concerns about it taking a little while to sort of get back to where it was? I think it depends on who you're asking. I think that there will be different parts of the tourism industry that will bounce back right away. I think that there are some sectors of the hospitality and tourism industry that are going to continue to struggle as we go forward. In Sacramento, we lost 18,000 jobs in the restaurant industry alone, basically overnight. And there are a lot of small businesses that are running those restaurants that employed all those people that are scrambling, trying to figure out how to bring people back, how to onboard people, how to do their marketing again, how to get spun up again, and whether getting spun up again even makes sense. Like I said, we've had a lot of false starts over the last year as we've been promised, oh, it's gonna get better, and then you're not, we run into some, some headwinds. So I think it's going to be an evolving process for a while. I think it's gonna take a little bit because to be honest, like our business, we were open here and there, but there are a lot of businesses that were completely shut down for the last year. They lost out on an entire year's worth of revenue. And it's going to be really challenging for them to turn the key and just go. So Scott, you got paid to do this today? Uh, yeah, I did actually. I'm not sure how I slipped that one past my editor, but uh, I managed to get on. Again, that was Jimmy Fremgen talking to me during a brew bike ride here in Sacramento. And yeah, there was a lot of hype this past week about how this was basically like flipping a switch on the state. That isn't the reality, though, for so many businesses and people trying to adjust to the new normal. Scott, what time was this interview? It was before noon. So did you go with an IPA or with a stout? Because it's kind of hot out. I need to clear up some misconceptions here. This was a hotly debated topic on Twitter. I refrained from participating in any sort of imbibing. I stuck with H2O. Yeah, my boss listened to this podcast too. All right, coming up, 
we move from the beer mobile to the distilled spirits all-terrain dune buggy. I wish we did. Instead, we're going to hear how county health departments are faring in the wake of both the pandemic and a proposed state budget that doesn't do them any favors. Stay tuned for more California State of Mind. It's California State of Mind from CAP Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nigel Duara. And I'm Scott Rod in for Nicole Nixon. You don't really know you need a public health department until something bad happens. Sometimes it's the regular kind of bad, like a, a degrade on a restaurant health inspection. Sometimes it's something really bad, like E. coli in cow's milk, West Nile virus in mosquitoes, or, you know, a global pandemic. Over the last 15 months, COVID-19 thrust those departments into overdrive, especially their labs. So it's kind of a surprise to read a story by Barbara Fader-Ostrov and Ana Ibarra in Cal Matters that says county health departments were, quote, shocked and worried when Governor Gavin Newsom did not include a new infusion of public health dollars in his proposed budget. And Barbara joins us now with more. Barbara, welcome. Thanks for having me. So can you explain to me how we have a $76 billion surplus and an unclear funding picture for public health departments, especially now? Because I know the question is really for the governor, but he's not here, so I'm asking you. <laughs> well, that's exactly what local public health folks want to know, too. So there's so much money that's been poured into public health since the pandemic started just to respond to COVID-19. Um, and much of it has been from the federal government and some of it from the state. But California's public health infrastructure wasn't in great shape even before the pandemic. So they expected the governor to go big on public health in his proposed budget. They were kind of shocked when he didn't. Uh, he instead suggested giving money for a study to uh, figure out exactly what everybody needs. And local public health agencies say, no, we actually need that money now. So they went to the legislature. They asked for more money. They got lawmakers to promise $200 million to improve the system and another $100 million for health equity programs. But the governor and lawmakers haven't reached a deal yet, a final deal. But this isn't just related to the pandemic, right? Because you reported that public health department budgets have been shrinking for, for years. Yeah, that's true. And this is like an ongoing problem with infrastructure, just like bridges and roads, right? If you don't invest in the things that you don't need every single day, like public health for a pandemic, you have aging computer systems, old lab machines that are too slow to process tens of thousands of COVID samples. Um, you don't have enough people. You don't have enough contact tracers or case investigators. And, you know, local county health departments have been sounding the alarm for pretty much decades, um, and they haven't gotten anywhere. The only time they ever get an infusion of funding is when there's a disease outbreak. So uh, health departments got some money for Ebola, for SARS, for swine flu, and now COVID. So they see this as an opportunity to finally get money for the boring stuff, the computer <laughs> system, so they can report lab results quickly and not have to use outdated fax machines, that type of thing. They need stuff that's not tied to specific diseases uh, so that they can basically, you know, maybe get a new building, you know, maybe they shouldn't be working out of a building that was built in the 50s and isn't really set up for computers and, and modern equipment. But Barbara, this is California. This is our paradise state. How is it possible that we got here, either nationally or, or in this state, 
uh, to the point where we're, we're, we're funding it in this boom and bust cycle? I think it's because of how money is granted to local agencies. So local health departments, like your community's health department in Los Angeles, it's the uh, the city and the county. They have their own health departments. Uh, San Francisco has its own city and county health department. And most counties have their own health departments. And the state gives them money, the federal government gives them money, and then there's what we call realignment dollars. And so this is like a super wonky, jargony thing, but it's important because in 1991, the state told counties, hey, we're going to have you take over a whole bunch of things we used to do. And we're going to include in that uh, bucket of stuff, mental health services, welfare and food stamps, uh, taking care of indigent people in terms of healthcare, people who didn't have insurance or were homeless. And we're going to have you deal with public health when our state department used to deal with it. The idea being counties kind of knew what they needed to do. We are the size of some other countries. We're an enormous state with a lot of people that, you know, having local decision-making on the ground would be a good thing. So the state gave money uh, to counties to, to handle these new tasks, but it varies from year to year, and counties say it's never been enough. In your story, you all focused on the labs specifically, obviously during the pandemic a different time. But before the pandemic, what kind of role did those labs and the public health departments play in, in our daily lives or you know the way we never really saw them? Yeah. So if you've ever had a sexually transmitted disease, even a common one like chlamydia, the public health department probably uh, tested your, your test sample or reported it from whatever uh, healthcare provider took it from you. And then they reported that disease to the state and the federal government. Um, same with HIV AIDS, same with tuberculosis. County health departments also do things that you might never consider. So like they test shellfish and water for uh, toxins. So one of the reasons we often have a delay in our shellfish or oyster or crabbing season is because there's either uh, contaminants in the water or contaminants in the shellfish itself that makes it unsafe to eat. Those are the kinds of things that are really important kind of all the time activities that public health departments do. They also test dairy. They, they will kind of randomly test cow's milk and goat milk to make sure it doesn't have, you know, pesky bugs like E. coli in it, you know, which can make you really, really sick. Uh, one thing I noticed in the story that, that you and Anna did was you talked to folks in rural areas or f folks that are a little bit away from major population centers. Um, has the, the impact been different in those areas versus, say, where I am in L.A. County or, or in the Bay Area? Somewhat different. Um, you know, rural communities can have their own public health issues. So, for example, in the desert areas of California, you will see a disease, uh, which is a virus that is in soil and and dust and dirt, uh, where you rarely will see that in Los Angeles. Um, the public health departments in rural and smaller counties tend to be small. Sometimes they will share a medical director uh, among two or three counties. Um, and uh, they tend to have older equipment, too, because, again, you know, counties are often strapped for money to invest in those kind of, again, boring infrastructure things like computer systems and, and lab equipment and people. So, so have you heard any indication or any response from the governor or from the legislature as to why 
they're not putting the money into public health that they say they need, the public health departments say they need. The governor has said that before you dump a lot of money into local agencies, you want to know what it's going to be spent for and have a plan to monitor how that money um, is used. That's just accountability and transparency and, you know, having everybody be responsible for how the dollars are spent. Um, But a lot of health departments have said, yeah, we're kind of in an emergency basis here and we should not have to, um, you know, transmit COVID test results through a fax machine. That's just crazy in this day and age. So, you know, there are still a lot of arguments about what's the best way to get dollars to the uh, the local agencies. And I think the local agencies also are nervous that a year from now, two years from now, people are going to forget what this was like and how much we paid attention to COVID testing and vaccination and all that kind of stuff. A fax machine. Yeah, it's true. Barbara Fader-Ostrov, thank you so much for your reporting on this. Thank you for your reporting throughout this pandemic. Thank you so much for having me. You know, Nigel, with a $76 billion surplus, it seems like there's extra cash flowing to every nook and cranny of the state budget. So I'm surprised public health departments aren't seeing additional investment. And if a global pandemic doesn't convince state leaders to throw money their way, I'm not really sure what will. I mean, we certainly seem to have the money. We know about the need. So I guess the next couple of weeks during this budget process, they're going to tell us if those things actually connect. And I mean, in some ways, you know, it's lucky that we can focus on what Barbara called the uh, boring stuff. Boring stuff. Uh, I don't know. E. coli and STIs sound pretty scary. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Next time, it's been about a year and a half since a new state law took effect that changed how police shootings are handled. We'll get an update on where things stand. Scott. Thank you so much for pinch hitting with us, and we will see you again next week. Hey, it's been great. Thanks, Nigel. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Vigland and produced by Jen Picard. Antonio Munez is our engineer. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio, and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Lagustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company and from California Court-Appointed Special Advocates. 